Hello listeners, this is Matt from Uncanny Treks, and I want to take a moment to tell you about our brand new Patreon at patreon.com slash uncannytreks. On our Patreon, we offer lots of exclusive content in multiple tiers, including access to our brand new Patreon-exclusive podcast, X-Men 92 vs. Young Justice. On this podcast, we follow the same format as B5 vs. DS9, but with an entirely new focus on reliving the nostalgia of 90s X-Men animated series and comparing it to the fast-paced action of Young Justice. Both of these animated series have recently been renewed for new seasons, so we felt it was a great time to return to these two comic book-based properties. If you're interested in subscribing, please visit us at patreon.com slash uncannytreks, and you can always reach out to us on Twitter at uncannytreks. Enjoy the show, and as always... Thank you for listening. to the galaxy's greatest podcast about the two great 90s space station shows babylon 5 versus ds9 we are a part of uncanny treks i am bob from cascadia that's matt from the southland and we're here with the most uh, thematically timed episode recording of all time because we're talking about a plague episode how you doing matt yeah, how, how ironic bob that i have covid and we're recording about this uh this plague <laughs> yeah yeah you, you you coming off the Rona mat? You uh, you staying hydrated? You feeling better? I'm doing I'm doing a little bit better. I just want everybody out there, if you're listening, to go ahead and just put your mask on while you're listening. I don't want you to catch it. <laughs> yeah yeah oh man I should uh, I should sterilize my microphone. Yeah. All right, so we are talking uh, Confessions and Lamentations, which is Babylon Five, Season Two, Episode Eighteen, which originally aired on the twenty fourth of May, nineteen ninety five, and then we're gonna follow it up with uh, Explorers, which is uh, Season Three, Episode Twenty Two of Deep Space Nine, originally aired on the eighth of May in that same year. So in the A plot of Confessions and Lamentations. The Markebs on the station are struck down by a 100%, 100% contagious and terminal 100%. plague. And the station goes into quarantine even as the disease jumps to the Pakmara, which are another species. Yeah, yeah, the Pakmara are the, are the carrion eaters. I think we've met them a little. And then in the B plot, uh, Lanier doesn't sleep for two days eats only bread and water, uh, all in order to prepare a sanctified Minbari meal through 15 stages of cooking for uh, Dylan and for Sheridan. Yeah, crazy stuff going on here. We got a plague yeah. and we got Dylan making food. Yeah, so when I originally wrote the notes, uh, we were kind of locking down a little harder because of Omicron. Um, now it seems to be easing up. The New York Times told us a couple days ago that maybe the worst had passed, but you know, still kind of an uh, ironic timing of this episode. 
Yeah, there'll be a, there'll be another one. There's another variant coming that'll be even more kick-ass than this one. What well, well, will this one be called? Psy? What well, will this one be called? Sigma? Yeah, Sigma. That sounds better. I Sigma. mean, fear the Sigma male, fear the Sigma variant. Right, right. I I don't really have much to say about it, but this episode does kind of do an interesting thing by having the Marquebs attach a moral stigma to the plague. And given when this came out in the mid-90s, this is pretty obviously a comment on the HIV AIDS virus, uh, you know, which a lot of people also put a lot of moral stigma on. So that was a kind of interesting connection. Yeah, it's true. Like Dr. Franklin even mentions like AIDS at one point, I think, when he's going through the list of diseases that affected the, you know, the earth. Uh, but Delenn and Lanier crossing the line to bring like comfort, that was definitely a social commentary on how AIDS patients were being treated like at the, at this time. I don't know if you remember, but like comic books used to have ads and like single page ads that uh, were of like DC Comics characters going and visiting AIDS patients. I remember there was specifically one with like Nightwing, just to oh, show okay. like you know that you, you can't you can't catch AIDS or HIV from you know just talking or spending time with these people. Like that was part of it. Yeah, I I think there was a DC assistant editor. I don't know his name off the top of my head who actually died of AIDS. I, Neil Posner maybe. Okay. I should I should double check that because I don't want to spread fake news. But yeah, I I do remember like actually a fair number of like subplots and and ads about HIV and AIDS in the comics when I was a kid. Um, I, I don't remember that that specifically about visiting AIDS patients, but I do remember that you know it wasn't like everywhere, but there were there was a fair amount of um, of uh, like ads and subplots and comics about it. Yeah, Posner died in '94 due to AIDS complications. Yeah, I, I think he worked on the Batman uh, Adventures comic, which is where it was announced and how I knew about it. Well, enough of the sadness, Bob. Let's talk about Dr. Franklin and his addiction to stems. I mean, I, d I don't have much to say about uh, Franklin getting on the stems. Do you have much to say about Franklin this is, getting is on this the gonna stems? Is this going to be an ongoing? <laughs> is this an ongoing thing for Dr. Franklin, Bob? Is this? Uh, very, very. Okay, because you told me several episodes back that. You know, I needed to keep an eye on Franklin because there's a reason that he is able to function. So, like, he's able to do stuff all the time. Yep. Is this what it was? Yep. Okay. You, you, you have solved the mystery. Okay. The mystery of the overworking doctor or the hardworking doctor. See, I thought it was going to be something cooler, not just that he's, like, injecting himself with Red Bull. All right. Nope, nope. He's injecting himself uh, with wings, as it were. Um <laughs> So, I mean, as an ongoing subplot for Dr. Franklin, how do you feel about this? I mean, I'm just glad they gave him something, I guess. I mean, I mean, it, it does make his character a little more interesting. Okay, so you, 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 would, you would fall down on the side of this is better than nothing? Oh, yeah. It's probably better, you know, it'll probably lead to some stories where maybe he makes mistakes because he, you know, is on the My stage God, Matt, it's sleeping. like you're psychic. It's like I could write this shit. Man, I missed my calling. My God. <laughs> well, you know, speaking of characters that um that aren't that great, let's talk about Keffer Although, for a minute. In, in fairness, okay. Franklin isn't great, but he's a hell of a lot better than Keffer. Yeah, Keefer, right? Keefer, Keffer, whatever the hell. It doesn't. I mean, it's just. 
Yeah. I never hated on uh, Lieutenant uh, Lieutenant Warren Kiefer, who's our uh, squadron leader on the station, Zeta squadron leader, I think. I never hated on him as much as you when I first watched the show. But I did have to notice that, man, his acting on the mission when they're bringing in the Marqueb plague ship, that really, really sucked. I mean, I have some sympathy for it must be very difficult to be an actor who acts, you know, as a pilot in a sci-fi thing. I'm sure like those guys in Star Wars had a hard time, too. But oh, boy, he, he does not nail it. That's really bad acting. Yeah, he had to get his obligatory screen time here. I mean, it was, but it was good to see there's that one scene, though, and his acting's pretty bad here, too, when uh, Ivanova kind of halts her ground and tells him that he can't go back out anymore, and, like, he pitches a little fit. Yeah, I I was kind of wondering if that was supposed to kind of be an allegory about uh, the writer's, uh, you know, kind of disdain for the character. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, he can't go out and look for shadow ships anymore. He's not very happy about it. I mean, in fairness, like him uh, disagreeing with Ivanova is stupid, but, you know, his his larger concern of, well, there's seems to be a really powerful, really mysterious, potentially hostile alien ships out there. We should probably figure out what to deal with them. It's it's reasonable on its face, although obviously Ivanova and Sheridan, you know, have better reasons to tell him not to, of course. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're have a higher rank, so you do what your commanding officer says. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you uh, you nailed a little tidbit that uh, I didn't know. I noticed the alien you're about to describe, but I never made this connection, although you're right, and I, I never really thought about it. Yeah, there's this alien in the background in one of the scenes. He's called the Game, G-A-I-M. Yeah. And he looks like Neil Gaiman's Sandman, like the mask that the Sandman wears. It's kind of got that World War II... Yeah, it's kind of a very alienish or bug-like looking World War II gas mask. And then, yeah, it's like a kind of full-body cloak with that. Yeah, but I don't know if, like, I probably could have just continued reading and found out, but I, I'm not sure if Game came after or before. <laughs> like, if they named him because he looks like the Sandman character, or if that was, like, legit name they gave him, like, uh, JMS gave him. Do you, do you mean if they came up with the design before or after the Sandman? Is that the question? No, 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 no. If they came up with the name, like the name of the race or species is the G-A-I-M game, okay? Yeah, I don't yeah. know if JMS came up with that name or if that was just the name like fans gave it after, you know. I think it's, I mean, it's not for sure, but I think it's pretty likely that JMS came up with it. I think he's friends with Gaiman at this point. Uh, Gaiman does write in at least one, maybe two episodes in season five. Yeah. Well, that and, makes sense uh, then. So, yeah. yeah. And Sandman had, Sandman had been going for a while at this point. I think the, I think Gaiman Sandman started in 89. Yeah. Certainly into the eighties. Yeah. So I guess that makes sense then. So it fits the timeline and uh, JMS probably named him that it wasn't like a fan thing looking back. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't no, in that, ret- that, I'm trying to say it wasn't in retrospect. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. And then, uh, the, so the game wasn't the only alien design that intrigued you this time around? Yeah, that creepy-ass, like, Markeb kid. That, I mean, the kid had, like, a really, like, touching plot. I felt bad, you know, and then he dies at the end. But, jeez, like, the, the design was just scary-looking. 
<laughs> yeah, it was kind of interesting how much that this story was kind of playing up the religious aspects of the Minbari, which granted, like, you know, do get mentioned a lot, but between like the absurd ritual for the preparation of the meal and then also uh, Dylan and Lanier kind of, you know, going on this mission of mercy, acting, you know, very much like you would kind of expect and hope that like, you know, monks and nuns would act during a plague. Like it was just kind of, it was interesting about how like, how much like religion uh, they were leaning into in the portrayal of the Minbari this episode. Yeah, one thing I did point out during the scene where, you know, they're all eating at the table is that, you know, they saved a space for uh, Valen. Is mm -hmm. that correct? Uh, so yeah, Valen. Apparently he's going to return someday like Jesus. Maybe maybe he already has returned and we just don't know it. <laughs> cryptic, cryptic. Um, but then also at one point, Delenn tells that scary kid a story where she was lost and then found by a glowing figure. I don't know. Not your favorite. Like no, not your I was favorite. Kind of just like, blah, <laughs> like really? Like we're going to keep going with this. Yeah. Yeah. And the, you, you made a point pretty well that I, I thought about, but didn't really express about how, about the end of the episode. Yeah. At the end of the episode, Delano and Nier are locked in the room where all the Markebs are having to, uh, quarantine and when Sheridan finally opens the door they're all dead except for you know Delano Lanier who are just sitting in a room full of hundreds of dead Markebs it's kind of it's really powerful like it was scary I, I mean I just thought man I would not want to be into Lynn's it, it kind of has a Twilight Zone quality to it almost oh yeah I mean it really got the point across that this episode was trying to yeah you know make with the whole plague and yeah and just kind of like i don't know if you've ever seen that like burgess meredith um twilight zone episode where he's like the last survivor of a nuclear war yeah yeah and yeah, he just, yeah. Those glasses break yeah time at yeah. last and then he breaks his glasses and obviously that's going more for humor than this but that's just kind of fantasy of like being the last person or the last people is a pretty powerful one I think it's kind of sad, though, because I keep saying I felt bad for Delenn, but then, like, Lanier was also there. <laughs> I don't know why. It doesn't, like, resonate with me as much. Like like Delenn and like the rest of us, you just tend to forget Lanier. Yeah. <laughs> there was an interesting thing at the end. So we have um, Franklin uh, goes to the Zocalo for a drink and then leaves in disgust after he hears the barkeep tell a racist joke about the Markebs, and then he... The barkeep also spread some fake news about the plague. And they had a musical uh, score cue that very much reminded me of, like, the X-Files music. I I haven't been paying attention to the music very much during this watch through, but I'd be kind of curious how much the other musical scores are kind of, you know, vaguely reminiscent of the X-Files. Yeah, it sounded very similar. And also the whole way they framed that scene with Franklin walking away from the Zocalo, but mm -hmm. then they had this... Um, almost like a spotlight that was going in and out. I don't know if you caught that. That probably added yeah, to yeah, the effect. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it was a nice little effect. Well, I, want, I, want to make, I want to go and share this uh, horrible racist joke that this barkeep tells. Hey, what do you call two billion dead Markebs? Planetary, planetary redecorating. 
Hey. I was like, really? Like, yeah, oh that's... my God. <laughs> like, Franklin should just pop that dude in the face. That was... Just... And then he yeah. says the Vorlons poisoned the Markevs. So... I, I mean, know. does that the, fit? The racist yeah. joke is pretty messed up. I don't know if the fake news about the Vorlons is as unreasonable as the episode wants you to think it is. That's kind of what I wanted to ask you. Like, I'm like, is that a hint or is that just a, a I mean. Um, I wouldn't go so far as to say that it's a hint, but I just think in combination with what the characters don't know about the Vorlon and what you later learn about the Vorlon, it's like not the most unreasonable theory in the world. Makes sense. All right. All right, shall we transition over to Explorers, Matt? Yeah, let's talk about DS9. So, in the A-plot, Sisko debuts a goatee after a return from Bajor, and he takes Jake on a voyage to prove that ancient Bajoran solar sail ships reached Cardassia, during which Sisko reads Jake's marquee fan fiction. Yep, yep. And then in the B-plot, uh, Dr. Bashir's macking on Lita is derailed by the news that his old Academy rival, Dr. Elizabeth Lenz, will be visiting the station. In a similar way to how Quark took bets on if uh, Dr. Bashir will win a medical prize, he takes bets on whether Bashir and Dr. Lenz will hook up. So we've reached the point in DS9 where Cisco is in that, like, he's transforming He's grown the goatee, but he hasn't shaved his head yet. So there's that that, that middle that middle ground between what he becomes in season four. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like I kind of like him better bald and with the goatee instead of uh, with hair and with the goatee. Uh, I'll, I'll let you in on a little secret, Bob. When I was younger, when I first started watching this show, I honest to God thought they recast Benjamin Sisko. <laughs> That's amazing. I did for just a little while, and then I realized it was Avery Brooks, but, uh, but it was. Oh, man. The the usual uh, the usual racist thing white people say about black people is that they all look alike, <laughs> but, but you're the flip side of you yeah. think the same black person isn't the same. Yeah, they all look completely different to me. <laughs> they don't. Um, there's a... There's a a podcast I really like called Give Them an Argument. And um, they had, um, they were talking about the movie Get Out and uh, they had two black leftists on, um, Jason Miles, who hosts another podcast called This Is Revolution and Touré Reed, who's a professor of history, I think at Illinois State. And uh, they were talking about all the times in their lives they've been, uh, mis- they or their friends or their family have been mistaken for uh, other black people, usually famous black people. It was quite funny. Yeah, I feel like, I don't know if I just miss this. If, if I had this episode as a kid, it would have made the transformation easier for me. Yeah, no, fair, it. fair. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, one thing I, awesome, do wa- I do want to say, though, about this plot and is that if I decided that I wanted to make a working replica of the Santa Maria, okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in my garage, and I only wanted to use the tools that were used to make these ships, <laughs> and all I had were blueprints mm-hmm. and no real engineering background, mm-hmm. <laughs> how long do you think it would take me to do something like that, Bob? Well, I, I just want to I just want to say that for the metaphor to really work, um, 
you should go with like a, a group that is claimed to have come to North America, but we're not totally sure. <laughs> so like, I, you know, like, uh, I think Pilgrims. people spec, you know, people speculate that like, uh, a Chinese fleet might've gotten to North America at some point. Um, I mean, I think we know the Vikings were here in some little way, but people speculate that they were here more than we knew. Something like that. Yeah, Bob, you gotta you've gotta utilize my very limited American education. Hey, I used to have a poster uh, that was like all the speculated voyages um, that people might have come to the Americas before Columbus, um, which was from the American education system. Although I guess it didn't serve me well because I'm struggling to remember any other ones besides uh, the Chinese and the Vikings. Yeah, Christopher Columbus landed in Washington, D.C. and built the White House. Okay, let's keep going. <laughs> oh, I think the, I think there's some speculation that uh, some Polynesians might have gotten here as well. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that, that was one of the other groups. I can't remember what the other groups are. But yeah, to answer your original question, yeah, I'm sure it would take much longer than the runtime of this episode, Matt. But that's the magic well, no, of uh, narrative that you no, can no, skip No, 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 no. It takes them like, okay, in the episode, it takes them like three weeks. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And he doesn't really, he's never really shown any kind of like technical skill or ability to build something like that. I mean, yeah, he knows a lot about starships and stuff, but he's not like Chief O'Brien. But he's using all these like outdated tools and stuff. I'm just saying, it's like a, it's a whole new like layer of Cisco they're adding. That wasn't there before. That's one thing that bothers me a little. This is supposed to be the equivalent of like, it's supposed to be the equivalent of like you know a dad being really into, to sailing or a dad being really into ships in a bottles or a dad being really into like okay this is how the different units were moving in the Battle of Gettysburg. You know, it's just supposed to be like a dad hobby. A dad <laughs> building Bajoran solar cell ships. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. I don't know. It just seems far-fetched. But, I mean, it is Star Trek, so I guess I can live with that. We, we have a center for wooden boats here in Seattle, Matt. Maybe they have a center for Bajoran sail ships on Bajor. Possibly. Okay. Well, if anything, though, at least the building of this ship brought Jake and Benjamin together. Yeah. There's a small bit of business that I really love. It's just like Cisco has this loving way of pointing at Jake. It's very sweet. Yeah, he really seems like the kind of dad that just wants his kid to be happy, which, I mean, makes him like such a good character. Yeah, yeah. So I did want to complain that when uh, Bashir and O'Brien are getting wasted, which is a really charming scene, by the way, but they start singing, which is fine, but they have them sing uh, the song Jerusalem, which was originally a poem by William Blake. And, you know, I love William Blake, and I even love that poem. But having an Irish man and an Islamic man singing the English national anthem, even though it's the left-wing English national anthem, uh, it's kind of messed up. Kind of, kind of not right. You shouldn't do that. Um, and it, it was kind of interesting. It took me a minute because this, you know, while the show is kind of upfront about O'Brien being Irish, it's never very specific about um, Bashir's heritage, but. Uh, Alexander Siddig, who plays Bashir, is Sudanese-English. And then the actors who eventually play his parents, I think in season five, um, the dad is Egyptian and the mom is Iraqi, I believe. Okay, yeah. I never really, like, 
honed in on that when I watched it as a kid. But that makes sense. Yeah, it's a weird thing that they keep doing. Like, later in the show, they're, like, reenacting the Battle of Britain. And it's just like, what? (laughs) I, I don't know. For whatever reason, they just decided that, like, oh, well, Bashir is, you know, Siddig is half English and Ireland's really close to England. So let's just have them really be into English culture for some strange reason. We also learn that uh, Bashir has an Andorian friend named Arab, uh, which I don't know, apropos of nothing, I like mainly just because I think Andorians are really cool. One one thing about this episode, though, and when we get to the end of the episode, is when Jake and uh, Benjamin finally make it to Cardassia, the Cardassians celebrate. They shoot fireworks. They're all excited. It seemed out of character, but I, I liked it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think you're supposed to read it as like a sort of political damage control damage control strategy. So they weren't going to admit that they found the you know the ruins of a Bajoran sail ship unless um, Cisco forced the point. But once Cisco forced the point, they're like, okay, we'll we'll spin this for political gain and you know act like we act like we're excited about it. Yeah, smart on their part. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was kind of interesting. Very kind of, very kind of Star Warsy ending with the fireworks. <laughs> yeah, we just need that. You walk. All right. <laughs> so I think we already covered most of this. But was there anything you wanted to uh, add about Shadows Watch uh, for uh, Confessions and Limitations? No, I'm just really upset that Keffer isn't able to go find those ships. Oh, don't he, don't he, worry. I think he'll still get up to mischief in hyperspace. That Keffer. He could have been the guy that solved the whole the whole thing. Damn. <laughs> so uh, you made a pretty sick meme uh, for Thirst Watch, Matt. Uh, any thoughts on uh, Lanier cooking for Sheridan and Delin's date? Yeah, they're like a there's like a weird three way thing going on there with them. I don't know. Lots yeah. of comments on it from people, but I'm like. I don't know if I, I, I give into it just yet. Yeah. Real my wife and then my wife's boyfriend energy from that scene, definitely. Yeah. But uh I'll probably make the meme the cover art just so people know. It's pretty it's one of my better it's one of my better works. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's a it's it's a dank meme. I, I appreciated this, uh, it. This uh this sickness has inspired me. <laughs> it's made me more you, creative. You got you got close to death, Matt, and it unlocked your artistic potential in the meme genre. Um, so, do you have any thoughts on the debut of Lita? And is she doing an English accent? Yeah, it did sound like it. No, uh, I I forget like Lita is there most of the time, but every time I'm on Facebook and they have like. Uh, you know, any of the DS9 groups, there's always pictures of, like, fans standing next to Lita. So she must have really, like, rode the, the wave of DS9 and Star Trek fandom just to make sure she stayed relevant. Yeah, good for her and make that money. Yeah, good for Such as the convention money is, I assume. That's, yeah, I'm thinking it is, too. She looks just the same, which is crazy. <laughs> Yeah, and so also in Thirst Watch, is this the first mention of Cassidy Yates? I think so. Isn't this when Jake and Cisco were talking about? Uh, well, Jake's trying to talk Cisco into dating again. 
and yeah, brings yeah, up the most Cassidy Yates. Yeah, I think this is the first yeah. time. All right, all right. No, very good, very good. So shall we uh, turn to your character of the week? My character of the week is Cisco, Bob. Nice. What what specifically inspired you uh, for Cisco? Just a great Cisco episode in general. Just uh, Cisco and his relationship with Jake. All that good stuff. Just yeah. One of the better Cisco episodes. Nice, nice. Yeah, I uh, I think I came down on the side of Bashir just because we get to see a little growth from Bashir. It's pretty amusing that his uh, rival, who he's told everyone on the station about and has spent so much energy thinking about, doesn't uh, doesn't know him at all. That's uh, that's very funny. Um, so I, I I rather enjoyed this as a uh, Bashir getting taken a peg down and. Uh, also, Bashir and O'Brien bonding, and O'Brien talking about how he didn't like Bashir for a long time. That was all very funny. Yeah, my episode of the week goes to Explorers. I like to buy Explorers and Lamentations. I just, I don't know. Confessions and Lamentations was super duper hard hitting, and it did have very special energy vibes or very special episode energy vibes to it. Yeah, and I just Explorers was more fun. <laughs> it was just kind of that kind of thing. Confession Lamentations too. I feel falls in between. Uh, like it's it's after a really heavy set of like shadow centered episodes. It's it's mm-hmm. it suffers the same problem I think that we saw in season one of Babylon Five, and that they'd have these like really like episodes that would push the plot of the whole season, mm-hmm. but then you would get an episode that was almost like filler. Mm-hmm. And while this episode seems to have a lot of like interesting ideas and concepts, I mean, it really is like there's not much being added to the overarching narrative of season two's plot. Yeah, I guess sometimes that's the challenge of when you're doing a sort of overarching narrative and also kind of episodic episodes is that the episodic episodes not tying into the overarching narrative can kind of start to feel cheap or pro forma. And so that's, I, I don't think DS9 hits that problem as much, but I, it is a risk that Babylon 5 runs more often, I think. Yeah, I just, they gotta, they gotta add more shadow shit in there than what they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, that said, I actually kind of like Confessions and Lamentations. I mean, it definitely has its problems, but... Just the weirdness of the plague and the weirdness of uh, Minbari cooking rituals were interesting enough that I I was able to give it the nod over ancient Bajoran sailing ships. All right. Well, we've wrapped another episode of the Galaxy's Greatest Podcast about the two great 90 space station shows, Babylon 5 versus DS9. I am Bob from Cascadia. That is Matt from the Southland. He's sounding a little faded. He's sounding a little weary, but he survived, damn it. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. <laughs>